Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Sasha Boulay-Devost is the CEO of Capture Therapeutics and PhysioFirst. She started these practices with one purpose, to offer accessible healthcare for all. Her goal is to provide rural communities with accessibility to an interdisciplinary team without being added to a wait list, transforming healthcare from reactive to proactive. Sasha has a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from the University of New Brunswick, a Master's Degree in Science of Physiotherapy at McMaster University, and she completed a U.S. doctorate program. Sasha started a small practice, but early on needed to expand. Now she has three locations and is currently opening the fourth in Atlantic Canada. Sasha takes pride in ensuring each and every patient and team member is seen, heard, and understood. That requires focusing on both the client experience and providing stable, non-competing positions that allow true interdisciplinary collaboration. It's healthcare reinvented. Sasha believes that as clinicians, they must find ways to go above and beyond the limits of their professions to help better serve the people of their communities. She says, we must aim higher and create new outlets and new opportunities for everyone involved. Sounds pretty inspiring, doesn't it? I certainly was. But it hasn't been easy. Sasha and her teams have faced some unique and shifting challenges due to the pandemic. She talks about those and other hurdles of being a rural female entrepreneur. Okay, Sasha, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you? I come from a town called Grand Falls. It's in New Brunswick. It is 
an equal distance between Montreal, Quebec and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, very small town in New Brunswick. Wow, that's a really neat um, reference point halfway between Montreal and New Brunswick. Wow. So let's talk about your clinics. Yes. And your professional life. Like, how did your life evolve to you creating this, and I'm going to say revolutionary health practice? How did that all come about? I think we're at a critical critical point in healthcare where changes need to happen or nobody's going to get the service they're paying for in reality. Um, I would have been, I think it was 24 when I decided that, or I thought I was a broken person because I didn't like having a job. I didn't feel like I could make the right impact. I, didn't, I felt like I went to work, did it the way it's always been done and closed the day and was always unsatisfied. So then I decided, uh, got pregnant with my first daughter and I said, Hey, why not? We're going to try this on our own, but we're going to not have a wait list. And then I soon realized that you can't throw out a wait list without a big team. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's such, as soon as you mentioned that word, there was such a high demand for that same daycare. So that was our first step into it. And then within 12 to 18 months, I was overrun 90 hour days just to meet that promise. So realized that we needed to design something that could expand faster and deliver that promise at the right speed. And how did you do that? How how did that process happen? How did you design something, you know, that had never been designed before? Well, most say that it's impossible. And even if you go for financing, um, they want to know what your wait list is, because then that guarantees you have planned work. Oh. And here I am trying to tell them. So they, they obviously think I'm a little nuts for not wanting it and maybe don't fully understand business. But I believe there was a way to be responsible financially, but also provide the best care. And let's just say it's not that hard to sell it to healthcare professionals today with the culture they're living in, in the public sector and a lot of the private sectors where uh, people think we are these teams that work together. That's how it's advertised. But if you look at the business side of things, all of us work for our own bread every day and we fight over clients that walk in clinics. And that really bothered me because how do you want two physios to deliver the best care to one patient if physio one knows they're not a right fit? In my model, they don't compete for that client. They're both compensated no matter who gets that client. So that way, if you, Shauna, walk in and you see, let's say, one of my therapists called Alex, but Ashley would be a better fit, he'll transfer you over without even thinking twice about it. And then he'll rope in the right people that fit your personality, your psychology, because honestly, our psychology is a big part of how we process pain. So we're just trying to tip it over and put the patient at the center from day one. Was there a moment that you, you know, were lying in bed thinking, uh, this is an unworkable problem. I mean, this system is broken. and what can I do to, to change it? And, and you had an epiphany. I, I know what to do. Was there that moment or, or was it a long process? I think that's still in process. I think it's a (laughs) daily struggle. Um, to be honest, I don't think you were tackling healthcare. Yeah. (laughs) If I can build the building blocks to change it in the future, you're building momentum. And originally everybody was like, oh, she's crazy. 
now we're seeing other clinics being like, oh, we're going to start offering the same type of compensation plan that captured us. When you start seeing that, that's not an issue for me. That means there's actual change happening in the system. And some people are like, why are you discussing this with your competitors? I want them to know we can all be successful. There's such a pent up demand in healthcare. How many people can we see ethically treat them well and operate in the right way that puts them at the core, but maximizes every part of the system? How do you get a team around someone and not just a one person deal? People are puzzles. You can't fix it unless you put in all the pieces and our system right now works in silos and without the communication in between. And it takes time. Um, doctors didn't love us at first. We did it differently. They, some of them will refer, will refuse to refer to us because we send too much paperwork. Well, let, so now we're having discussion with doctors. Let me help you. Tell me how you want to digest the information because these clients we're patching up the cracks. We're done with this. Oh, you'll wait three years to see someone. And healthcare is maybe broken in a lot of parts of Canada, but it's very broken in a rural system. My personal specialty is women's health, and they wait over three years to see a gynecologist. That's absolutely not okay. And yeah, women's health is just something that's dear to my heart and part of it, but it's we're feeling it everywhere. And throw in this pandemic, um, they need to get they need to start get getting very creative. Um, how do we prevent future pain and stop acting in the short term in a reactive model Canada has built on for so long? Wow, that's really powerful. And every, you know, I'm shaking my head yes to everything that you're saying. Um, rural communities in particular, what do you think some of the, I guess, there there's a myriad of problems, but what do you think are some of the major issues in healthcare, specifically in rural communities? So the simple stuff, which is maybe in a lot of areas too, is like we discussed, broadband, internet, those kinds of connections are crucial just to operate at the same speed as everybody else. Recruiting, uh, especially in my grandpa's location, uh, we're bilingual there. So then you're literally trying to recruit two languages in one person every time. Uh, Europe, that's not a problem. In Canada, still an issue to get those extra languages. We should be teaching kids multiple languages before the age of five. It's almost a myth that we believe that the rural communities don't bring anything to the whole. And if you look at the research, rural communities are 30% of the economy. You can't ignore 30% in any business, let alone in running Canada. And it's really the, the lack of privilege and bias and power that leads to everything going to urban and a poor support to rural. So you're going to overpopulate your urban areas and then you're, you're just starving your rural, which has some pretty critical functions like farms and things that keep Canadians fed. Some of the issues um, I can say in Ontario are there is a huge housing crisis and there's also a crisis in getting people to work in rural communities, meaning um, people doing minimum wage jobs. Um, so working in restaurants and working at a gas station and, you know, working at a cafe or, or a dollar store. And so people can't afford to live in some of the rural communities. So how can they afford a car to drive into a rural community and perhaps even work at one of your clinics? That is a huge problem in rural Canada. 
Absolutely. And um, when I built our model, it was to make sure it was about creating not only a better healthcare, but knowing that this is a long game and we need to create opportunities for the next generation and make them see that there's actual opportunity in rural New Brunswick for professionals and support um, positions. But also when we chose our wages, we made sure that nobody was a minimum wage person. Our minimum wage is much higher, even for a student, because I'm sorry, university, that's the point in life that determines if you can buy a house in the next five years of your life after you finish. Millennials, um, as much as they're frowned upon, have gone through recession, 9-11. You start piling these up, 2008, and now a pandemic, and the highest student debt load they've ever seen, and we're telling them to just figure it out. That's, (laughs) or grow up. It's not going to work, but they have amazing creative minds. And most of my clinics, we, we have more senior, we have younger, but a lot of my clinics are millennials right now. And if you give them just the right power, oh my gosh, they can do so much. And they want to move that needle. They want to make an impact in tomorrow. But you need to come to the middle of what the lifestyle is they envision. And how do you match that to the healthcare needs in my particular domain? I'm I'm so inspired by your commitment. I, I'm really inspired by how committed you are to it. One of the things that that we've been discussing in my own community is equity, diversity, and inclusion. So we want, you know, to make our our small communities welcoming. However, are we putting the right cultural dollars and investment into immigration and welcoming new people to the community and, you know, having uh, perhaps even a a safe business program where somebody puts a, um, you know, a sign in their window that they've been trained on how to be inclusive. And what do you think about that? It's a real struggle. Um, If we, we have all these great initiatives for immigration but there's so many barriers and cogwheels and you can't, you can't get the wheel to move. So you're ready and business is not, can't wait for paperwork to be filed on the government level. That's not how businesses work. You need 15 people in 45 days. Um, you need them in 45 days, 90 days too late, especially if you're a farmer or anything like that has passed. Um, and all our provinces are acting independently and they're like, Oh yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. But then you hit the federal and that's not aligned with, so then it just slows down the process. I've got so many entrepreneur friends that are just stuck and waiting on immigration and the barrier to entry, let's just say is absolutely ridiculous in terms of capital that they require to be able to get here in terms of opportunities, even professionals. So instead of, creating opportunity for new professionals in let's say New Brunswick, they post them in very rural communities to help their crisis. But then let's be honest, it's a very non-inclusive, non-diverse educated world in rural Canada. Why don't you bring in five at once and build a community in that rural region that can support themselves so that they're not moving to Montreal in a year? We need to diversify our rural regions as well, but there's so many barriers and they just, it's like if they're trying to just position them where it helps our economy 
instead of understanding that if you invest in their culture and their ways and build these neighborhoods that are about them, it and then not only give them jobs, but help them actually become employers so that you can get that different cuisine in rural and you're not driving two hours away for your restaurant visit. Like if we can just change the mindset and build mini urbans and rurals, it's financially possible. We just throw a lot of money at a lot of big projects that don't actually make an impact in the long term, but look really good on in the short term on paper. And come election time. <laughs> you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's up to you if you want to. I mean, um, it yeah, is. It's a, it, it's a struggle, especially nowadays. Yeah, it, it it's really tough. Let's go back to you. You personally. So absolutely. How does it feel to be your own boss? You co- you become the ultimate employee. <laughs> we trick ourselves into thinking yeah, you've got liberty and freedom, but do you actually get to utilize it? Let's be honest. It's a grind. It takes a lot of work. And especially in healthcare in the last two years, I'm not even yeah, gonna discuss how tough that has been in trying to actually keep my mo- model sustainable during lockdowns and opening and that's been a real challenge for me that others haven't had. It was about changing the system. I, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I didn't know that's what I was uh, until I got a taste of it. And now I'm absolutely in love with it and just want to keep going because I feel like it make a bigger impact is having an army of a hundred is a lot better than trying to do that change on your own. So changing that mentality of how many can you affect by certain decisions, but I don't believe I'm a, it makes me laugh. I don't believe I'm my own boss because I believe I take orders from a hundred different people all day. I'm probably a very different boss than most. I do not micromanage. I don't let managers micromanage. We have meetings about what do we do next? And we challenge them on, is that financially responsible for the client, for the clinic? And what impact will it drive? And what community organization can we pull in to try to actually make a global change in that environment or community? Um, But yeah, becoming a boss... Never expected that of myself. Um, uh, more of a servant, let's put it that way. <laughs> but I think what you've done, though, is, like you said, you wanted to change the system. And, and I think that people who innovate and make big change are people who don't wait around for someone else to do it. They just say, why not mm-hmm. me? Right? And there's, uh, there's this thing we get criticized about. I like to create a lot of leaders in the organization. I don't want it all on my shoulders. And some people see that as a threat or they can walk away, they can do their own thing. Absolutely. But that means that they were, they have, they still have the same mentality as us. They wouldn't have joined us if they didn't believe the same thing. So no matter what they decide to do, they're going to create that same style. They may have little differences, but I believe that they're going to be creating that same movement momentum towards the right stuff. And I hope that I'm able to create the right opportunities within our organization to keep them and grow them long-term and see multiple of these clinics pop up, not just three, uh, that they get to run on their own. But um, even if they move on, I've had this comfort inside of me that it's like, yeah, but they get it. Like I know that person to the core and they'll, I know that they're treating patients, whether they're under capture or a new term uh, the right way. How does that feel? That's awesome. Yeah. We've got um, a lot of people like their employees. I really love mine. We, we hang out. We've got really just strong, fun bonds. We understand that it takes, you can't move this needle 
unless you're arguing like family. <laughs> as long as everybody's in the same boat paddling the same way at the end, even if you disagree, that's our rule. But you all, you argue over it, you fix the direction, and you all jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that's there's, awesome. There's totally conflict in our world. <laughs> so, what grounds you when you have hurdles and challenging times? That's a hard one. Two years ago, I would have told you physical fitness and all these great things we do on the side to keep our mind clear. Um, avid reader. I'm really good at detaching in terms of when I'm with the kids and the family, I'm, I'm pretty good at closing it off. But the impact of the changes that happen on a whiplash basis and trying to communicate that with our team. And we've really taken the, um, we've taken the charge. We've told them to turn off the news. We'll update you daily. Like when you need an update, we'll update you. Like get off that constant noise world because that's going to, we can't attain our mission if we don't survive this pandemic and we need to keep our mental states happy. So they've got, we introduced mental health benefits during that time. Like we did a lot of just self care stuff, but no, personally right now it's, it's really hard because it's still survival. And I believe we have another two months of struggle ahead of us before we see that light and feel, um, it'll feel awesome. And at my age, I'm really happy I'm going through it now as hard and difficult as it is, because it will take a lot to stress this lady after the project <laughs> is over. <laughs> I, I keep telling my friends, if you make it through this, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that there's not much that's going to be able to the, top you over the edge. I always thought, uh, I never forgot, a professor from Toronto University was presenting to me at a conference one year. And he said, what could topple your business? I'm like, oh my gosh. And he was talking about technology and how can it eliminate you? And I'm like, cocky as can be. I see people. I can't be eliminated. And then one year later or two years later, the pandemic hits. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I see people. <laughs> that is the issue today. I have to touch you. I have to be within your bubble. <laughs> so long-term isn't an issue, but throwing a pandemic and that was a real you think you're smarter than you are and until you hit those hurdles and realize that those jumps are high. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine trying to put your head on the pillow at night because your job and your business revolves around supporting someone, not just physically, but also mentally, because I mean, you have to be there with the patient, right? You have to get to that granular, granular level to connect with them. Absolutely. And you're employing people who are the helpers, who are the supporters, and then they have to carry that and take it home to their families. And that's, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a big load. And there's been a lot of focus on the public health care, but nobody's looking at how it's affected private. Because I, I know it's kind of a competing aspect and Canada shouldn't think of it that way. And we can talk about how Canada should be doing healthcare. But um, our people have put their time in. I've had many who have volunteered in the COVID clinics. Like they've, they've stuck it out. They've done what they needed to get us through this and they still are, but they're carrying the emotional load of every client they see every day. And guess what? Nobody's talking about the weather for the past two years. So they get the same conversation over and over. And it's 
it's been a lot of coaching on how do you derail offense. And there's been so much discussion in terms of internally and struggles. If you look at mandates and vaccine mandates, and then you're at the core of health and ethics and where do we draw the line? What is inclusive? What isn't? Um, after you reach 90%, does it matter? Yeah. You start wondering what, who are we as Canadians as a whole as well? And um, how do we manage our identity over the next few years? Cause I think we've done a lot of damage one way or another. We've never been, we've always been an us and we've been a lot of me versus you lately. And I'm afraid of what that will do to our cultural blanket in the long run. That's really interesting and, and clever to, to have that foresight. What do you hope for the future? Yeah. I mean, what is your hope both professionally and, and in your community? You know, like with your, your, your work and your business, but also within your small communities. What, what do you hope? I hope communities start working better together. That sounds pretty broad and ridiculous, but it's true. This competitive atmosphere that two florists can't complement each other in the same location is insane. The more you hear of something, the more it's being utilized, the better business is. If you've never heard of a physio and there's a random one on the corner that's a lot harder to book a business than if you have four in the same area. It means people know them, people use them, people gain education towards them. And I hope communities invest a bit more in their youth to be honest, and retaining their youth. At some points, we had to make really tough decisions on how much can we help and still make it through the next wave as we plan through it. But I think if we were, people don't give the youth enough credit. We need, we need our communities to teach coping. There needs to be coping seminars, coping. Our youth have learned to not cope. I told my HR director the other day, like, we're no longer just HR. There's a lack in parenting that happened at some point. And you need to be that parent. You need to teach people how to get from here to here appropriately, but in a nice supportive way. Is it fair that it falls on businesses today? No. But are you rewarded when you are that person that they trust to get them there? Absolutely. You grow relationships that are outside the workplace. But I think as a whole, we need to, the youth is tomorrow. And right now, our kids are lacking in education, especially right now. Um, they're behind. We, we just need to focus and figure out what the priorities are and not just think about today, but these are the kids that get us out of the recession we're causing. We need them very educated. We need them ahead of the game. We need to reconsider what we're educating because our industrial system is not going to serve them right in a information and technology world. How do we get that technology in their hands in the right way? Not just TikTok and <laughs> Snapchat, right? Because they can code. My, my daughter's seven. We've been teaching her to code. It's really cool. They love it. But put it in their hands. The right, the right technology can keep them busy. What's your advice um, for a woman from a rural community or even an urban community who's looking to move and start a business in, in a rural space in Canada, what's your advice to um, a woman entrepreneur, a budding entrepreneur? So first of all, it's not as easy as they make it look. <laughs> Everybody likes to celebrate the wins. Not a lot of people show you the dark, but if you make sure it's something you're passionate and you believe in, just don't take up a business just to take up a business. Find the right network of people that don't only look like you. So just because you're a woman entrepreneur, don't stand up with only women entrepreneur. 
go in that room, find that network that terrifies you because that means they've opened the next three doors you don't even realize realize are closed ahead of you and they'll help you bust through them. Whatever you want to be, hang out with it. And it's going to be scary and intimidating and you're going to feel like you know nothing but the knowledge you can absorb in that time. And what they don't realize is the business community is so big on helping the next guy over because they have the same mentality. So whether you're a woman, man, just reach out for what is it the next step I picture myself as and how do I find myself into that network? And it's not just about people knowing people. It's about that real support that only another entrepreneur can understand. That roller coaster ride of I am on a high and we're rocking it to a two-year pandemic crash. Who's going to be there picking up the pieces when you're in your darkest? And um, be ready to work your butt off. (laughs) None of it's easy. You should still have a life. But it is what we call is it's one life. There's I had a I had someone explain to me once this. I hate how they try to divide your business and your, your personal life. That question drives me crazy. And I'm part of a few programs uh, like the Wallace McCain Institute locally and tech and, but they've got a big, okay, how do you do this one life, but not in division. This person I talked to is like, consider yourself in the middle. So you're the peg and there's 12 pegs around you. And there's an elastic between you, the peg and the next peg. And every peg's an aspect of your life work. Family's on the other side. Well, if you're diving harder into work, you don't have a choice. The back will strain. How can you find that center that you, okay, I understand work is going to take my priority the next two years because I'm going to survive this, but how am I going to compensate for that leaning forward that has strained the family? What is my next move to pull back from work? How do I plan all of this? to make sure they don't feel neglected. And it's, you're just being pulled in every direction, but making sure that you don't snap the rubber bands around you. I I find that that's my best way of describing what it feels. You're just being tugged and it's understanding what that momentum is and where do you, where do you center yourself? Where are you comfortable? And I'm not going to lie, being a female entrepreneur, you're going to run into a million other things. And men will tell you they don't exist. But we only get about 1% of all funding, let's be honest. So there's a huge barrier just in terms of getting capital. Uh, You're going to run into the family issues. You're still carrying most of the loan at home. Let's not pretend that doesn't exist in most households. You're responsible for the doctor's appointments. Is it right? Can you? I always tell my husband, the fact that I have to ask you to do this is the issue. (laughs) It's not about (laughs) you willing to do this. It's the fact that we take on the load, the mental load of that day-to-day organization. And... uh, I have my wedding ring always on my left side, which I don't have because my diamond fell out. (laughs) And on my right side, I have the Enso rings, which are just the silicone rings, but there are brand colors. And for me, when I talk to my husband, it's like, yes, this can be successful, but this also has to be successful because that's what keeps us all happy and puts the bread on the table as well. And he brings his own portion and all this, but I remember having to explain that my job isn't Second, it's it's with you guys. And the only way I'm happy is if all of it is happy. So that when we're in some sort of our disagreement on who's putting work first or family first, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> like, I'm calling this card today and I point to my <laughs> rings. Like, this is the only way we all survive through this. We gotta, and it's about, it, it's funny and everybody laughs, but 
you kind of have to be married to the job to some extent if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur. The barriers are big and I'm not going to pretend like they don't exist. And um, like having a male partner would make a difference in the organization. Like it's ridiculous that you have to say that, but it's real. My, my husband can get many points off an interest off his interest at the bank on the same loan. And we've tested this. I have a better credit score personally, slightly better. It's not a significant, everything's together. So we have about the same debt load, all of this. We both apply. He had a four point difference on his interest rate. What? So we can pretend like it doesn't exist. It exists. And when I brought it up, it was not to be discussed. So the barriers are everywhere. And people will pretend like they don't ex- They're there. You can't. I just say twist them, use them to your advantage, but find out how you get through in your own way. And that network is huge because they'll find you the right people that aren't thinking that way. And in rural communities, you're going to struggle more because that mentality is tighter than in the cities. So you have less power. Your local bank does not have as much power as the Halifax or the Montreal branch. Like it's, it's impact. It's impacted, right? So it's, but it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be a little crazy, but it's fun. (laughs) Oh, Sasha, I, what a delight you are to speak to. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting us, giving Capture a chance to shine because hopefully it's in 10 or 12 more communities in the next few years. I would love to see that. like this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time.